1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. And now we'll transition to our second uh, set of verses from this passage. Um, it will be 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 to 35. Okay. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Minister Cola will be uh, preaching this morning, so let's turn it over to him. Adjectives are words that describe a noun. Now, they don't change the fundamental nature of the noun itself, but they describe it. So, for example, I, I drive a, a silver Toyota Corolla. I drive a silver car, right? The adjective silver for car doesn't change the fundamental nature of my car, which is a car. Now, you might say this about myself, too. I am a Nigerian, Taiwanese, adult, male, human. Now, there's a lot to unpack there if you say Taiwanese and Nigerian and adult and male, you know. But it, at, the, at the end of the day, fundamentally, who I am is human. That doesn't change. Now... The reason I bring this up is because as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about the title of the sermon. And I actually couldn't remember what the title was. Was it a, a Christian single or the single Christian? Now, while textually those two words might you know, be pretty similar, grammatically it's important because one of those words is describing and one of those words is fundamental to who you are. So the question is... Who are you? What fundamentally are you? Are you a single person who happens to be a Christian? Or is the fundamental part of your identity the fact that you are a believer in Christ, that you are redeemed and healed, and the state that you're in right now is as a single person? It's a, it's a, it's a slight but important distinction that we need to make and unpack. But I realize that it's not just for single people, but it's through our entire sermon series because we're going to be going through all different modes and methods and, and positions in the family. And we need to ask ourselves what truly first defines us. And what I'll contend with you in this series and in this sermon today is first and foremost, we are believers. We are Christians. We are followers of God. And the, that identity needs to then define who we are. And in this sermon specifically, we're going to talk about being single. But fundamentally to who we are is Christian, is someone who is redeemed, is someone who is washed, and in our hearts are stirred up in affection for God and for 
Christ. So I hope that this sermon isn't just for single people, but it's for us as a church, as a reminder. Now, we're going to move into the text a little bit, and we're going to, you know, go on some, you know, interesting paths here. But first, I want to look at a little bit of the context of the text, how Paul sets up this part that we just read about. So the first, the first part here is, is in chapter 7, is in 17, verse 17 of chapter 7. And, and, and these are two verses here that are going to define everything that we read, first and 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. I'll read that again. Let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. We, we see an, an, another important verse in 24. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain in God. In whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. The key to this passage today, to understanding all of Corinthians 7, is that whatever state you're in relationally, or even broader than that, whatever state that you are in, God has called you to serve him and to glorify him and to love you and and love him and called you into obedience to him. And that there is value in the church with every person, with every state, because you can, in all that you are, serve God. Now, this is important because culturally, this was new. This was different. Here, let me read a quote for you. It says, nearly all ancient religions and culture made an absolute value of the family and of bearing children. There was no honor without family. In ancient cultures... This is the time that Paul is writing. In ancient cultures, long-term single adults were considered to be living a human life that was less than fully realized. Yet, what Paul argues here is that because of Christ, your relationship doesn't define you. Whether you be single or married or engaged, there is a place for you in this community, in this moment, in this very place where you are right now. But it goes further than relationship whatever state in 24, whatever state you are in, there's a place where God has you. There's a place for you to work. It's an open invitation because there are no second class citizens in the Bible. There's no hierarchy. There's no person of higher value simply because you're single or because you're married or you're divorced or you're widowed or you're attracted to someone with the same sex or different sex or you got a PhD or a master's or you graduated from high school. There's a place for every single person in the church because there's a place where every person, no matter what you are, no matter what you're going through, your state, that you can bring glory to God. Now, specifically for single people in this case, here's where we dive into the word. There's, this is the word of God for you in this moment. Paul says in what was read, the presider read, is that singleness is a gift. Now, as you look through Paul's letters, he uses the, he uses the word gift, 
to say that this is a gift of the Spirit that allows us to grow, grow the church, to build the church. Now, I know that there's a lot of single people who say, I don't want the gift of singleness. That's not what I, no, the gift of singleness here is not just being content in your status right now. The gift of singleness right here is a gift meant to build the church. Now, what is the gift of singleness? We read verses 33 and 34, and I'm going to paraphrase and rearrange the text a little bit, but here's essentially what it says. It says, the married man is anxious, sorry, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. The unmarried woman is anxious about things of the Lord. That's verse 33 and 34. Now, contrast this with the married man is anxious about worldly things. The married woman is anxious about worldly things. Now, none of this is wrong per se, right? To be a married person and who's anxious about a lot of different things, have your attention divided. Now, because when you get married, you need to care about your spouse's emotional and physical health and you get a, a new set of parents. And as you get married, you also get older and your parents get older too. It's something to worry about. Now, and then you have kids and that's a tiring situation too. Like we, I love kids. Kids are a blessing from the Lord. They're wonderful, but they're tiring, especially when they're young. I had my kids when I was 22 and 24. Like, this is the prime time to be awake all night and have fun, and I still was tired. And I know that there's some of you who just had kids, too, and are tired as well. And I think of going back to Taiwan for myself. When I go back to Taiwan, I think about education for my kids. Right, the best school that we want to send them to is about 45 minutes away from where I'm going to do ministry. And so we need to make a decision as a family, what has higher priority for where we live? The place that's close to the people I'm going to be ministering to or the place where my kids are going to receive the best education? What has priority? Now, what I'm saying is that a married person... It, by the fact of being married, has attention divided. Now, these are, both, these are both holy and good and pure desires and affections and attentions, but the married person has attention that is divided. They can't solely focus just on the Lord because there's another person. There's an entire family to take care of. Now, on contrast, the gifts that Paul talks about is the single person. Are, they are not encumbered. I take myself as an example. Again, these past three years have been hard. I've been away from my family because of a visa situation, because of COVID, and it's been hard. It's been a struggle. It's been painful. But it's also been a time where, in the first time in my life, I was a good student. In fact, you will be proud of me. This first time in my life, I was an A student. And, and that's because I was able to focus and dedicate my time to, to studying and spending time in the library and drilling Greek vocab. But it, but it wasn't just being a good student too, but I was also able to serve on the worship team almost every week for chapel and seminary, but then also come here while I was doing all the seminary things and serve almost every weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in cares on worship team and then meetings on Sunday. So in my entire weekend serving at church. And even now, like, my days mostly start at 10 o'clock, and I'm working usually until right before I go to sleep with meeting with, meeting with all sorts of people in between, while, while being part of lots of committees at church, while pouring out my heart in worship, while preparing sermons like this. I'm spending 
untold number of hours working, pouring out my heart because I love you. I love this church. And the reason is because I, at this point right now, am essentially single. And sometimes I talk with my wife about what it would look like if my family was here and how my, what my schedule would look like. I would need to cut down on a lot of the things that I do, a lot of the meetings that I have with people because I would want to be a faithful husband and a caring and dutiful father to my kids. Now, there's a reality here that being singleness is a gift. You do have time. And so, first, the encouragement for you if you are single, pour out your life in service to the Lord. Don't take this, take this time and consider it. It is a gift from God that God has called you, that God has allowed you in this moment, in the goodness and the graciousness of God. He has allowed you this gift right now to pour out all that you are into serving the church. But here's the other thing. Here's the reality of being single too. That even though you know that it's a gift, even though you know that it's good, even though you know that you can dedicate all your time, that sometimes you still feel lonely. Sometimes I still feel lonely and I still feel sad. You know, sometimes before going to bed, I, I sit on my chair and the weight of, of my essential singleness hits me right now. I feel lonely. I miss emotional intimacy with anybody, and especially my wife. I, 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 I sometimes just break down and cry. And in those moments, you need to ask, what is my hope? Right? And it's not just, it's not just for me, but if you're young and you're single or you're older and you've been single for a long time, or if you've been divorced, or if you're widowed, or if you're someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, but because you believe in the promises of God, you believe in the goodness of God, you said, I will remain celibate. There's all kinds of singles. But in all of these single situations, you can trust and believe that this is a gift, but still hurt. So in the, in the hurt, you said, what is my hope in this hurt. Because sometimes I do feel lonely. Sometimes I am struggling. Sometimes I just break down and cry because I feel alone. I feel sad. What is my hope? What is the hope of God for people like us? For people like me? Well, I know this is a basic answer, but we look to the goodness. We look to the good news of the gospel. And we ask ourselves, first and foremost, what is our identity? What defines me? Because it's not about my relationship status or my job or how good of a person I am. Because if you, if you put your hope and the weight of expectation for all that you are, for completeness on your work or on a person or on marriage, you're going to crush all of those things and those things will disappoint you. And that's why we have people in midlife crisis making poor decisions because a, a new car, a brand new house, a vacation, cheating on your spouse is not going to satisfy you. It's not going to complete you. And here's the news for you, young people. Going to college, getting into a good school, getting into med school, getting a good job and having money isn't going to complete you in the same way marriage 
is not going to complete you. If you put the weight of expectation of all that you are and your completeness on top of a person or a thing, you will crush it and you will be disappointed by it. The only thing that won't disappoint you is, well, it's not It's not a thing. It's who? It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It is the fact that we don't have to earn our salvation. It's the fact that our salvation was bought with a price from a God who cares. And not only did he die, he resurrected and is close and is near and cares for you. It is Christ and the community of Christ, the church, that becomes our hope. Who am I as an identity piece? It's not defined by your job or being single or your relationship status or anything. It is first defined by who you are in Christ. There are two quotes that I found that really helped me understand what this means. The first one is this. This is written by a person named Paige Benton Brown. She says, my identity is not found in my marital status, but my redemptive status. I am one of the haves and not one of the have nots. When you start recognizing who you are in Christ at a very basic foundational level, you are bought with a price. You are a Christian, not a single person, not your job status, but you are bought with a Christ. You are bought with a price. You recognize that you are one of the ones who, who does have. You're not a have-not. You're one of the haves. And, and you're not some kind of secondary person just because you're single. No, you have Christ. Therefore, you are fulfilled. You are complete. He is near. He brings you close to him. And sometimes when I'm sad, I need to remind myself of this truth. That God is near, that God cares, that he, is, he has a deep love for me and that he meets me in the quiet, in the hurt, in the frustration, in the loneliness. I, 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 I think of Psalm 42 where, where, where the psalmist says to his heart, and this is going to be loud. This is how I encourage me. He says, oh, my soul, why are you downcast? This is how I encourage myself with the truth, not speaking just to my head, but to my heart. It says, oh, my soul, why are you downcast? Don't you know that God is your hope, that God is your salvation, that God is near and he comforts you? Cola, why are you sad? It's okay. You will praise him again. And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you need it to speak to not just your head, but your heart and your emotions in a little bit of a quieter way and say, while I am and while I feel afflicted, While, and this is in the psalm, while my meal has only been my tears, the only thing I've eaten and drunk is my tears. God, I put my hope in you. I know that I will praise you again because you're my hope. You're my salvation. You're how I define myself. And you're near to me and you're close to me. In those moments, where I recognize in my head knowledge, I recognize that this time of singleness is a gift. 
but I still feel sad and I still feel lonely. One of the, the first thing that I do is bolster myself with the truth, not just my head, but my heart. The truth needs to hit our emotions too. And the truth that God is near, the truth that God cares, the truth that God loves you, that you are one of the haves. Because what defines you is not your singleness, but what defines you is the fact that you have Christ. Here's the second quote. This is from Tim Keller. We should neither be overly elated by getting married, nor overly disappointed by not being so, because Christ is the only spouse that can truly fulfill us, and in God's family, and God's family, the only family that will truly embrace us and satisfy us. Now, what I love about this is he brings, he brings two angles. Yes, first, Christ, your identity in Christ, what he's done on the cross in his resurrection. Christ, his nearness, his comfort for you. Christ, our salvation. Christ is what, is what our hope is in. And he satisfies us more than anyone else. But it also says Christ and the fellowship of Christ, the church, that's you, that's me, Crossbridge right now. If you're, if you're on your phone, if you're doing something else, look, pay attention right now. The hope for single people is Christ and the fellowship of Christ. That means you, that means me, that means us as Crossbridge, that we, we, we are what bolsters and helps and is what what helps care for single people along with Christ is it's a Christian community. When I last year in in May, um, we we as as a family we made a pretty tough decision to say it probably would be better for Olivia, my wife, and and my girls Eunice and Nia to stay in Taiwan. Um, because of COVID and because Taiwan, Taiwan's government did a lot better job of, of protecting them and it might be safer for them there and there's more facilities and more support for them there. And it, it, it was a really tough decision. It was a time for me where COVID kind of took away a lot of support structures, you know, uh, of where to study, where to relax, where to find community and church. And then uh, the cherry on top was I was waiting two years for my family to come and then we find out that they're not able to come and it was a low point in my life. I was massively depressed, crying every day, unable to stomach food and get work done for school. I, I was, I was, I was, I was down and it hurt. It was hard for me. But I remember in that time, Chris Chang, <laughs> Elder Chris, he reached out to me and sent me a quick email to say, anything about the situation, say, hey, I'm hurting with you. I'm broken with you. And I'm praying for you. And also, hey, I know you might know the song, but here's this. And he links me a song. And, and it, it was a small gesture from Chris to say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm hurting with you. But it meant the world to me. And it's, it was things and it was small gestures like that that got me out of that funk, that helped me to survive, that helped me to keep going. And, and it, it has been small gestures like that, that that have kept me going in this time where I've been alone, where I've been missing my family. I haven't seen them for eight months. 
Some friends knew that I was going to be spending uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas alone. And so they invited me over to spend it with them. A simple gesture like that to know that I, not, not just minister, but I as a, a regular person in this moment, single, essentially single, need support and love and care too. And it means the world to me that they did. Another example too is Mark and Tina had me over their house. They cooked food for me. And the fact is that Mark and Tina, I don't, we don't know each other that well, but they still took the initiative to invite me over and let me play with their kids and, and to feel like a family again and to feel cared for. Those little gestures mean, mean and meant, meant and mean the world to me. Those are the little things that keep me supported right now. And so there's practical things, practical little things that you can do as the community of believers, the community of Christ to care for single people. Let them know that they're cared for. Let them know that they're embraced. Let them know that they're welcomed. Let them know that they're not second-class citizens. Have them over. Remind, send them a, a nice note and let them know that you're thinking about them. Don't let them spend the holidays alone. Right? Because, not just because they're single, but because they're believers, right? Because uh, some, sometimes what, one of the, the traps that people that, that, that can get into is that when you're single, that people will define you solely as that. And they only ask questions about that. But the first thing that they might ask you is, hey, are you seeing anybody? You know, but, but what if you saw a person not as, their, not as the fundamental identity of them as a single person or married person or family, but what if we as a church decided to say, hey, we're all Christians. Now, and we would ask, how are you doing and wherever you are in pursuing God, where is God calling you to do as, wherever you are, as a parent, as a single, at whatever you are, he says, how are you doing? What if, what if being a Christian became the first identifying mark of how we saw each other? How would our relationships be different? How would we care for each other differently? It's important. Our identity is not in singleness. Our identity is not in relationship status or education status. Our identity is firstly and foremost in Christ. And what I have to say too is that the corporate experience of relationship, the way that we model sacrificial love in this church community is not secondary, is not lower than, it's not a, a, a lesser quality than marriage. Right, because 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 oftentimes we can say marriage seems like the pinnacle. That's that's what we're always looking to. But it's to know that that relationships in the church can be just as emotionally fulfilling, can just be just as glorifying to God and edifying, and have emotional intimacy and nearness as marriage does. That to be a single person doesn't mean that you're not experiencing or missing out on some kind of emotional or relational intimacy. You're not a second-class relationship person. You're not. You know, the relationships that we have with one another are just as valuable as the relationship that a husband and wife have. So what that means for you as married people, if, if all of your friends are only other married people, you don't have any single people in your life, you're missing something. 
But also, if you're single and you have any married people in your life, you're missing something as well. What I'm trying to say is we need each other. I need you. We need each other. Our hope as we wrestle in singleness, as we face times where we feel sad and frustrated, is reminding ourselves of Christ. Reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel, who we are fundamentally, so found in Christ. We are saved. We are redeemed. That is who you are, first and foremost. And as we, as we go through the hardship and sometimes the loneliness, the suffering, the other thing is not just Christ, not just knowing about Christ, but is experiencing Christ through the fellowship that Christ has given us, the church. As we care for one another, we start to recognize that this relationship isn't inferior to marriage as well. So that's how we, me in this moment, That's how we start to accept this gift of singleness. That it is a gift. It is a time for us to serve. It's a time for us to be able to give out of our whole lives, every part of you, to, in service to God. And in the moments where we don't feel right, where we feel sad, where we feel lonely, we are bolstered by the truth of the gospel and who we are, and we're bolstered by the Christian community. But here's the thing, that doesn't mean as a single person that you don't desire marriage. In fact, the desire of marriage is a good thing, but we also recognize that marriage isn't the end all be all. Here's another quote from Tim Keller. He says, marriage is not ultimately about sex or social stability or personal fulfillment. Marriage was created to be a reflection on the human level of our ultimate relation of our ultimate love relationship and union with the Lord. I'll read that sentence again. Marriage was created to be a reflection on a human level of our ultimate love and relationship with the Lord. It's a sign and foretaste of future of the future kingdom of God. If you, like I said again, if you put all your weight and expectations of hope, of identity, and completeness in marriage, you will crush your spouse and you will ultimately end up disappointed. We need to have a right view of marriage. And that's what our Dr. Arthur's talked about yesterday. But also knowing that as a single person, you're not second class. You're not somehow incomplete, but we find our wholeness. We find our identity. We find the fullness of life and relationship found in Christ, found in God, found in identity with him. What defines us first and foremost and primarily is not our singleness, but our relationship, but our salvation. We are part of the haves. We're not the have-nots. So, to conclude, 
I think it's worth saying that accepting singleness and whether it be temporary or permanent is, is not about trying to reach a, a level of spiritual maturity that can somehow earn us a spouse, but rather it's knowing that God has been so good to me right now that he's giving me his best in the situation that I'm in right now. There's no place, there's no status in the universe that's better than what God has given me right now and trusting and believing in that. That God isn't giving me something secondary right now, but he's giving me his best. We can pour out in the gift of an undivided heart. We can find our comfort in Christ in knowing that we are saved. And we can find our comfort in the community of Christ, the church and believers. And know that God has given us his best. What your, the situation that you're in right now is where God called you to. And that's the best That's the best that he has for you right now. And you can bet your bank on that and trusting that. Now, I want to finish with a quote. I I read a lot of papers and, 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 and and this ending of a paper stuck out to me. So I I want to end with this. And and this is written from um, an older um, single woman. And she says, but I want to be married. I pray to that end day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date and die an old maid at 93 because God is so good to me. Not my will, but his be done. Until then, I am claiming as my theme verse, if any man would come after me, let him. We trust that God has given us his best, not because we're single, but because we are Christian. We are followers of him. We are the haves, not the have-nots. And our identity is found in him. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would look at ourselves and take seriously this call to love one another and find our identity first and foremost in you. Lord, we ask that you would form us into a community that cares for all people and cares for single people as well. Help us, Jesus, to find all of our identity first and foremost in you. We need you and we love you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.